Thanks for joining us for today's sermon on the Brick Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Jared Callahan. I'm the lead pastor here at the Brick, and we're so excited that you're going to check out today's message. Our prayer is that each week the message inspires you, challenges you, and helps you connect to God, maybe in a brand new way. We also pray that you connect with us as a community, that it doesn't stop just with your connection with God, but it gives you an opportunity to connect with the people at the Brick Church. So don't hesitate to reach out. Let's jump into today's message. So today on Easter Sunday, we are finishing our series called Win the Fight, all right? Finishing this series called Win the Fight. And uh, the concept and what we want to process through Easter is how the fight has actually already been won. And so what does that mean for us? If we're going to win the fight, we've been building up to this concept of, of Jesus fighting our battles and, and understanding what fights matter. And if we understand what fights matter, it'll teach us how to fight. We're wrestling with if we know how to fight then what, is it, uh, what does it look like to fight? What does it look like to fight? Because there's all this fight language in the New Testament. So if we're going to win the fight and also understand that Jesus won the fight for us, what does that look like? And in today, as we conclude the series, I want you to process this question as we're wrestling through all of today. But what does Easter mean to you? What does Easter mean to you? Not just not just today, not just, uh, well, it's a Sunday I dress up. It's a Sunday we go hunt eggs. It's a Sunday we do whatever. But what does it like, mean to you every day? What does the Resurrection Sunday uh, signal in your life? How does it change your day-to-day? As we process that and we process winning the fight, what I want you to catch for our final week is the language that is fight language, the authority to which Jesus is communicating language of somebody who is a fighter, somebody who has the authority to fight, somebody who is waging war. And Jesus kind of gives this moment uh, when he goes back to his hometown. He's already started doing a few miracles and he goes back to his hometown. It's like he's kind of giving his state of the union address. I want to I tell you guys, my hometown gets to find out who I am. My hometown, I'm going to declare to you what I'm here for, what my purpose is. I'm going to come to my hometown and let you guys know first. I've already started doing some miracles, but now I'm going to really tell you who I am and signify who I am. And he opens the Bible. He opens the Old Testament and uh, turns to Isaiah uh, 61. And he reads these verses to them in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. And it says this in Luke 4, 18. It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. So he reads these verses in, in Isaiah 61. He reads the verses of their text and what they would have heard was that when he said, this is about me, they would have heard, who do you think you are? Right? Like, wait, what are you saying? This is about me. Right? There's some language that as soon as you speak it, whenever you have the authority to speak it, it indicates who you are. Right? We have language. Whenever I say a certain sentence, you would know maybe an authority that I have behind that voice, or you would suspect that I have the authority, or I'm lying to you about the authority that I have behind my voice. Right? So, uh, for instance, I might say, by the power vested in me by the state of Oklahoma, you would go, well, that guy's probably ordained. If he's saying that, he's either lying about it, he's either suggesting he's ordained, or he's actually ordained because he's about to finish up a wedding, right? You, another sentence you might hear is, or hopefully you never have to hear this actually in, in real life, is you have the right to remain silent. As soon as you hear that sentence, you're like, oh, I'm in trouble. I'm start thinking about all the lawyers I have because you're probably hearing it from a police officer. And hopefully you never have to hear that sentence, but you would understand the th- authority that's attached to that sentence behind it. That some, the person communicating is saying who they are with just a singular sentence. 
And Jesus, with this sentence, to say the Spirit of the Lord is on me, I'm here to proclaim the good news to the poor. I'm here to to, uh, proclaim freedom to the prisoner, recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free. He's saying that's about me. That's language of authority. That's language to say I have the authority to say this. I have the authority to communicate. This is, this is the beginning of the fight language. See, what they heard is, you think you're the Messiah. You think you're the one that is supposed to come back and declare David's kingdom. You're, you're the one that's supposed to set us free. That's you? That's, that's who you think you are? So he's speaking language that they hear as, as fight language, as language of somebody who has the authority to set them free from Roman rule, to, set, to, to recover sight to the blind. How, who do you think you are? And all of his hometown is rejecting his statement, his declaration. All of his hometown is like, we saw you growing up. We saw who you were as a kid. Who do you think you are now? Who is it that you think you are that you can communicate this kind of authority? Because they would have heard, get your battle ready. Get your, get your fight ready. Get, get ready because God is about to set us free. God is about to fight like he fought with David. God is about to do for us what he's done before in times past for the nation of Israel. They hear this language and they're like, you ain't the guy. You're not the guy. And so then this kind of state of a union address, he speaks who he is, and there's an authority, and there's a fight in what Jesus is saying. And then later on in Scripture, he tells what the weapon is. All right, we're going to fight. You ready to fight? All right, cool. You're like, what are we going to do? We got, we got those, those balls with the spikes on them. We're going to do that. We got swords. We got nunchucks. What do we got? You got you're going to invent gunpowder early on. We're going to start doing that. How are we going to fight? And here's the declaration. As he says, come follow me to this fight, essentially. Here's the declaration when he tells his disciples what it looks like to follow me. Here's what you're going to do in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So you want to go? You ready to fight? This is who I am. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one. You're seeing the power that I have. You're seeing the authority I have. Are you ready to follow me? Are you ready to fight this fight? And they're like, yes, we're ready. We'll go wherever. Peter's telling them, I'll go wherever you go. Whatever you do, I'm ready. Okay, take your cross. Normally you would hear, okay, grab your sword, grab your shield, grab your stuff, grab your armor because we're about to fight. We are about to take hold of the kingdom the way David did. We're about to take hold of all the authority that I've already described that I have. Grab your sword, let's fight. And instead Jesus says, take up your cross every single day and fight with me. Follow me with your cross, not your sword. The language that he's communicating is to say, I have the authority. I have the power to do this thing, to fight and win this victory. But the weapon I'm going to use is the cross. The weapon I'm going to use is, the, is what they use for capital punishment in their day. It's an absurd idea. You wonder why the, the disciples are confused half the time. They're like, what is, what it, what are we, we're dying? I don't understand. I really don't understand. There's one moment where uh, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he's trying to communicate he's about to go there. And as he goes there, one of the disciples, he's like, listen, Lazarus is just asleep, communicating he's going to raise him from the dead. But all that the disciple hears is, oh, we're going to go die with him. They're just confused. They have no idea what's going on because the language Jesus, oh, we just go die. That's what we're doing. We're going to go die with Lazarus. That makes sense. They don't understand the power of the weapon that Jesus is calling them to fight with. They're confused by how we're going to fight. They see the authority, but you're saying a cross? That does not make sense until you see the power of that cross. In uh, John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus goes to the cross. And as he goes to the cross, He says this line that would have probably been depressing to the hearers. 
right? So this is him on the cross. It's his, it's his final breath. He says, when he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. If you would have been a, a disciple, you've, you've spent three years with Jesus. You spent three years with Jesus following him every single day, not sleeping in your own bed, abandoning your family, abandoning your, your, uh, like the, the people you were raised with, abandoning uh, all the things that were normal to you, being a fisherman or a tax collector. You abandon your life as you knew it to follow this guy for three years and to look at him on the cross and hear him say it's over. It's finished. And you would have thought, and they all thought, that's what it means. It's over. Like, it's done. We're, we, that, was a, that was a wasted three years. That was, a, that was a miserable three years that just took place. What we just did with our life for three years was a massive waste of time. That sentence, when you first heard it, would have meant utter darkness. You would have spent time just pondering. Like, you, you even have a scene where disciples are walking and they're just kind of, they're just downcast. Like, it's just... This is, this is it. This is, we thought it was something, but it wasn't. He said he was the Messiah, but clearly he wasn't because it's over now. It can't be over. It's supposed to be over when the Romans are defeated. It's supposed to be over when Israel is back to what it's supposed to be. It must be. And so in that moment of it is finished, it became this very depressing, very difficult phrase to probably hear until something changed that. Until three days later, Jesus rose from the dead and it is finished meant something completely different. When, when he went to the cross and he died, it seemed like the battle was over because we had lost. But when he said it is finished, what he meant was it's ba- the battle is over because I've already won. You're like, well, that doesn't, how have you won? I pro- I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove that I won because I have defeated death hell and the grave. When I come back in three days, you're going to know that I have the power, the authority to communicate it is finished. See, there's a gap between what he said and the moment he proved what he said was true. There was a gap before he said it was finished when he said, this is who I am. I'm the Messiah. I've come to set the captives free. I've come to set the prisoners loose. This is what I'm here for. This is what I've came to do. I have the authority to do that. And you're like, do you though? Do you have the authority to say it's finished? And all of the authority of who Jesus is, all of the authority of it is finished to set the prisoners free, all of the authority is found in the proof of the resurrection. All of it hinges on that moment. Everything that we believe in as followers of Christ hinges on whether or not Jesus raised from the dead whether or not he really did defeat death, hell, and the grave, whether or not he really is who he says he is, right? We have a culture that likes Jesus as a moral teacher, but, but he's, if, if he didn't raise from the dead, he's not that great of a moral teacher because he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's legit, right? He's one of those three. He's either a liar because he knows he's not the Messiah, and he's over here saying he is when he knows he's not. He's either, or he's a lunatic. He thinks he's the Messiah, but he's not the Messiah, or he's legitimately who he, is, who he says he is. And on the cross, and on three days, he proved, I am who I said I was. I'm legitimately who I said I was. And I have the authority to tell you the war is won. I have the authority. I alone have the authority to communicate that the spirit of God is on me to proclaim good news to the poor. The spirit of God is on me to set the captives free, to set loose the prisoners that are bound and chained up. I alone have that authority and I'm proving it to you when I raised from the dead. 
And all of our, everything we've got is hinged on that moment. That moment has changed history. So even if, even if the cross seems like a ridiculous way to fight, even if the cross seems like a weird way to fight, I, I would challenge you to think of a weapon, think of a, of, of a single battle or a single war that has done more to change history than that point in time, than that moment on the cross. Whether you were to believe in his resurrection or not, what moment in history, what battle, what weapon, what fight, not even the atomic bomb being dropped has changed history more than that one moment. We change how we date things based on that singular moment in time, that one person who indicated who he was and proved who he was. We have changed everything. People have changed. Nations have changed. History has changed. People, groups have changed all because of one singular moment, one weapon that we thought we just needed more firepower, we thought we needed a better battle plan, a better battle, battle scheme, but it was the cross that we needed. And we needed the one who had the authority to utilize the cross as the most powerful weapon in history because that's what it was, his weapon. And he's saying to us today, pick up your weapon, the cross, and follow me. You, you, wanna, look, you wanna know what it looks like to win the fight. You wanna know what it looks like on Easter to say I won the fight? Pick up your cross and follow me. One of the things about the resurrection that's interesting uh, to me is like wrestling through whether it happened because everything hinges on that. Um, and one of the things that proves to me or is the best argument that I've ever heard is, is not necessarily that history's changed because you could, you could dupe people, right? You can trick people. Um, what's interesting to me, one of the most convincing arguments that he really did raise from the dead is found in the 11 guys he left behind. Meaning that the 11 disciples... Uh, Judas kind of did his own thing and he was gone before Jesus resurrected. But 11 of them left, be became very different, right? We have, we have three different gospels communicating. These 11 guys didn't have it together. They weren't the elite. They were, they were not very well educated. They were not very sharp. They weren't very smart. They didn't have it all together. And all of a sudden, 11 guys go from nobodies in a small country that's virtually insignificant for the history of the world to becoming the 11 guys that changed the course of history. The, the 11 guys who flee when Jesus is being attacked become the 11 guys who are willing to sacrifice their life. And Peter says, don't, ha don't hang me on the cross the same way. Don't hang me on the cross because I'm not worthy of it. Hangs upside down because he's not worthy to die the same way that Jesus died. 11 of them died brutal deaths because they had something different about them. They spent three years with this guy. So if, they, if anybody was going to go, you know what, this wasn't worth it. I've been duped. It would have been them. But instead, they were transformed. They were changed. The, the resurrection is powerful in that moment. And then Paul writes about the resurrection. In Corinthians, he's writing uh, to this church group and he's saying, listen, everything's about this. He's like, if you're not sure about the resurrection, there were 500. There were 500 people who uh, were here when it happened. Some of them have passed away, but there's still some alive. And, and Paul challenges the Corinthian church, go ask them if they saw the resurrected Christ. Go ask them. He's challenging the people of his day that you can go check with them because he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, uh, chapter 15, verse 15. He said, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. On Easter Sunday, what we recognize is that everything hinges on what this day means, what this day signifies, that Jesus really did raise from the dead. All of his authority hinges on whether or not he pulled that off, 
whether or not he, he, he did all of that for us, whether or not he really is the son of God, every authority that he ever had, every teaching he ever had, every communication that we should carry our cross, which is an absurd idea, every communication of who he was and what he went to do for us hinges on this very moment. And Paul is saying, otherwise our faith is useless. Let's not waste our time following the moral teachings of Jesus if he isn't really who he said he is. If he isn't really the son of God, let's not waste our time. But if he did, but if he is, which Paul believes and I believe, if he really is raised from the dead, then it changes everything. If it didn't happen, nothing should change. If he really did, it should change everything. Not just, not just in a moment, but the rest of our life should be changed by this reality. And so as we process what Easter is, I want to know if it changes your reality. Is it just, is it just the waters you've been swimming in? Is it just what you were raised around and you just, we just show up, you know, we just, we go because it's Easter Sunday and grandma's going to take me out of the wheel if I don't show up. So I got to be here on Easter Sunday, right? Like we go because our family wants us to be there. Like we go on Easter Sunday, we hang out, we dress up, we take cool pictures. Our kids get candy. We go steal some candy from our kids because it's called a dad tax. All of those things. It's just, it's just a regular old Easter, regular old Sunday. It's just another Sunday. It's one of the few Sundays I may show up to church or maybe another Sunday that I show up every single week, but it just becomes normalized. But if, if it's, if it is what it is, it should change everything. Because now I'm recognizing that if the resurrection is what Jesus says it is, if it is what Paul says it is, if it's what Peter believes it is, if it is what Pastor Jared believes it is, then it should change every aspect of our life. Because what it means is that the Son of God, that God himself took flesh on, lowered his power, lowered his station in the universe to, to be with us and to empathize with us and to feel what we feel. And then he laid down his life by choice. And Hebrews tells us it was for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. The joy that was set before him so that you could be set free. He endured all the pain, all the suffering, all the difficulties so that you could be set free. Not, not just when you die, but right now. Today, every day, you could live free. You could, you could feel that Jesus loved you so much that it changes your every day, not just your Sunday, not just your Easter, not just your Christmas. It changes everything about how you live and you start to live free rather than bound. And there's a, there's a, if we're honest, there's kind of a dissonance. There's a, there's a gap. There's, a, there's something missing because it feels like we're still at war and Jesus says the war's over. It feels like we're still prisoners trapped sometimes. If you're honest, if I can be honest, there are moments where I'm wrestling and I'm fighting for what God wants me to be and fighting to follow Jesus. And it feels like maybe you're going uphill. Like, it's cool on Sunday. I feel free. I feel good. But then Monday and I wake up and it's like an uphill battle and there's this work to be done. And it doesn't make sense because he said it's finished. I should be completely free. I should be set free. But there's, there's a gap, even in war, there's a gap between the feeling of freedom and the moment you were set free. It doesn't always happen like that. You don't just, you don't, like some people, some people had miracles and it's just like they were set free and they were wholly set free in the rest of their life. They could feel different. But sometimes, and most times, you were set free, but you're still carrying something with you from your prison. You're still carrying something with you from your entrapment. See, in World War II, we saw some of the worst. World War II, we saw some of the worst moments of prisoners of war being put in camps. We saw the worst of the worst of, of ethnic Jews or, or, or Jews being put inside of concentration camps. We saw the worst of the worst of people suffering at the hands of another group of people. And what happened is when we came in, 
All of these countries came together. We got to stop this. We got to fix this. We got to we got to do something about it. We set the captives free, like physically, naturally. We we, we took bolt cutters. We stopped. We 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 cut the chains off the concentration camps and let people out. And when they walked out, they were free in that moment. They were 100% free. When you walked out of that concentration camp, the U.S. and every European country that was a unified ally has said, you were free. Let's go find your home. Let's go find your family. Let's go get you set up. Let's, let's, let's help you live in that freedom. But the second they walked out of their gate, they were 100% free, and yet they were still suffering from the implications of their concentration camp. They still had work to do to follow in the steps of what they were called to do and be in order to get to the place to where they could feel the freedom that has already taken place. And that's what our spiritual freedom is like. Because when he says, take up your cross, when he says the victory has been won, he's saying, follow me. I'm opening the gate to your freedom and I need you to follow me. I need you to trust me. I need you to trust that I'm leading you somewhere, that I'm leading you to a, to a better spot than where you're at, that I'm leading you to a healthier place than what you've been trapped in, to the prison that you found yourself in, whether you, made, you put it there yourself, whether you made it yourself, you, you put every brick on the prison that you're living in, you know it, and Jesus is still saying, I set you free. You, you are in a prison because of the family that you were born to and the suffering that exists in your life is just because of your genetics. And Jesus is still saying, I'm opening the gate and I'm here to set you free and I have the authority to set you free. And the only thing you have to do, the only thing you have to do, the gate's open, the door's unlocked, the, the battle has been won, is follow me. That's it. I'm here to set you free. Just follow just follow me. No, no, don't, don't pick up your weapons again. Don't fight again. Don't, don't go back to your prison cell. Don't go back to that mindset. Follow me. Follow me. And it's difficult because, because even in war, in like actual war, we for years expected to send people to war and send people to fight and to set people free from uh, being a prisoner of war. We expected to set them free and that they would come home and they would just be like, whoo, I'm oh, it's over. I'm good. I feel good. Like, I'm, I'm good. I got my family back. I'm home. I feel good. We expected them just to feel okay because they weren't in the middle of the war anymore. And yet they carried the pain and the struggle of what they were just in. And in our following Jesus, there are moments where we still feel the results of the prison we were stuck in. And all he says is, keep following. I'm bringing you somewhere. I'm taking you somewhere. It's one. It's over. You're set free. You may have the PTSD of your former struggle. You may have the PTSD of where you were. But just trust me one more step. Just follow me one more step. I've, I'm taking you somewhere. I've got a freedom for you. I've already declared your freedom. You just got to begin to let go. And it's easy to sometimes go back. It's easy to sometimes mentally just check out for a second. All of a sudden you're back there and you're back in your addiction. You're back in your depression and you've got to remind yourself, no, no, no. He has the authority. He set me free. Feelings don't dictate my freedom. But the one who has the authority to set me free does. And he claimed that I'm free. He opened the gate and I'll, I'll follow him. I'll follow him. Even when there are days when it doesn't feel like I'm free. Even when there are days it feels like I'm still trapped in the same prison I've always been in. Even when there are days, no, 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 that feeling, that feeling doesn't win. Jesus wins. Jesus won the fight for you. You don't have to succumb to that feeling. You are designed to be set free. And sometimes we're still carrying in the concentration camps the numbers that were stamped on us. And we think that means we're, we think that means we're not free. 
We still have the numbers that got tattooed to say what our number was in that concentration camp and in that pain and in that prison. And the scars of your past are not indications that you're still in prison. The scars and the tattoos of your former life are not indications that you're still there. The scars and the pains of your past are indications of the one who set you free and what you're free from. And sometimes we want to go back. Sometimes we want to step back into it. Sometimes we don't believe it. We don't trust it. We can't, it can't really be this good. He can't really love me this much the way he did on the cross. It can't really be true. So we go back to what's comfortable, what we know feels better and feels true because in this moment, it feels more like I'm in prison, so I might as well pretend like I'm still in prison. And for many of you showing up for church or listening online, for many of you, you've, you've walked into a church before and you've given it a shot. You've been plugged in and, and you, you've wanted to see God do something and you got hurt. You got hurt by a pastor. You got hurt by a church. You got hurt by a group of people that were your family who said they followed Jesus, but they didn't live like they followed Jesus. You got hurt. Maybe you're carrying with you the weight of people who you thought loved you, but they hurt you in the process. And you're like, does this mean, is this Jesus thing even real? Is it even real? And, and I want you to know before you hear anything else, is that even me, I carry the pains. I carry the, the tattoos of my past and my struggle. And the pastor that hurt you, the church that hurt you, are just a group of people who are trying to, to come out of the prison camp, to try to be free, to try to walk free. And if they chose to go back and they hurt people in the process, that doesn't change the power of what the resurrection is and the love that he had for you on the cross. It doesn't change that moment just because somebody was trying, somebody was striving and messed up and hurt you in the process. And I know for me, the times that I was struggling and that I was trapped, the, the, the time that, that I can remember distinctly weeping and crying and saying, God, I, I can't. I can't get out of this prison because I was trying on my own. I was doing everything I knew to do. Get rid of this sin. Get rid of this stuff. And what got me out? was not how good I was. It wasn't a 12-step program. It wasn't the perfect accountability. It wasn't all the perfect things. It was not trying to get rid of the sin. It was just striving to follow the one who set me free. It was finding the light, not trying to get rid of the darkness. It was following him one step, one moment, one day at a time, just following him. And before I knew it, I could look back and go, I'm not in that prison anymore. And for many of you today, I'm going to challenge you to see Easter different to see the resurrection different, that it doesn't just change one day or one day of the week, but it changes every day, and you choose to follow him. Maybe you have areas of your life as followers of Jesus where you're still trapped, you're still bound, and you can stop trying to get rid of the darkness because the battle's won. All you need to do is follow the one who won the battle for you. And, and even early on, uh, when Jesus goes to his hometown and he communicates his, uh, his kind of state of the union, he communicates like, this is the authority that I have. His hometown rejected him. His hometown was like, no, nah, we've seen you grow up. We know who you are. You're the son of Mary and Joseph. You can't be anybody important. And in Mark 6, verse 5, here's what it says about that town. It says, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He could not. I, I looked at every translation. I'm not, a, I'm not a Greek scholar by any means, but I looked at every single translation of Mark 6, 5, and none of them said he chose not to. None of them said he would not. It all said he could not. Like, he did not have the ability to do any miracles. There was a limitation on Jesus in that moment and the freedom he could provide, the healing that he could provide, and the limitation was found in their belief in him or not in him. 
The limitation of your freedom and how far God wants to take you. The limitation in, in wh- and how, how much God wants to set you free is, is whether or not you're willing to follow him and trust that it's not just another Easter. It's not just another moment. It's not just another Sunday. It's not just another story about some religious leader. It's not just another religion. It really is the Son of God who died on the cross and rose again to set me free from all that I've been bound in, all that I've found myself in, all the trouble, all the struggle, all the pain, all the angst. It can just be another Sunday. It can just be another Easter. It can just be another moment where you come, you worship, and you walk out the same. Or you can see Jesus differently. And he can do a miracle in your life and set you free. The challenge is whether you'll follow or whether you'll keep fighting. Whether you'll keep fighting the fight that's already been won for you. In World War II, uh, there was a, uh, a moment, right, where we're, we, we finished it in Europe. We finished the war in Europe. And then we went over to Japan and we finished the war in Japan. But Japan was a little different in the way that we fought because we were island hopping. We were going from island to island. And so the, the communication between commanders and, and their subordinates for, for the Japanese soldiers was, was complicated because you're going island to island. And there was one guy who was on an island and had been kind of getting beat up. And there was, th- there was only three guys under him left. That's how bad his platoon had been doing on that island in the Philippines. And he was a Japanese officer. And the war was finally over, and he didn't get the message. There was no way to communicate to him that the war was over. And so he's still fighting. This guy's still fighting, and he's still fighting. His name's, you can actually look him up. His name's Hiro Onada. I'm probably butchering that, uh, trans, you know, that pronunciation. Hiro Onada. If anybody can, anybody can send me in the, the notes on how I'm supposed to say that if you want to. But Hiro uh, was still fighting. He's got three guys with him, and he keeps fighting. I mean, just fighting over and over again. He keeps fighting, and he's fighting. And one day, uh, the U.S. And the, and, and the Japanese were getting together and like, how do we tell these people? So they send pamphlets down or send bulletins down on paper, like just drop them from planes to say, hey, the war is over. You can lay down your weapons. They, they drop like together, the, the Japanese government and the U.S. government, hey, we got a truce. We got an agreement. Let's let people know you can stop fighting now. The war's over. We've had a peace agreement. We're starting to work some things out. We're figuring out what's happening. The war's over. J- Japan surrendered. It's time. Let's, let's, let's figure this thing out. And Hiru and his three men found the pamphlets. And they read them and they studied them. And all three of them plus Hiru looked at them and they're like, is it over? Is the war over? And as they studied it and looked at it, what they were convinced of, what they told themselves, what they believed was true is that this just must be U.S. propaganda. This can't be true. There's no way the war is over. There's no way. It happens a second time. They find it. They're like shooting at police officers that aren't army men anymore. They're getting in gunfights. They find another one. They do the same thing. They look at it. They study it. They, they ponder like, nope, this is, this, is, this is just propaganda. This can't be real. This has to be fake. This must not be the truth. And one by one, uh, guys leave him or die, right? Finally, like they, they get too sick or they die. They leave. Heroes left by himself by himself in the countryside on a Philippine island, just fighting, fighting, a fight that's already over, but he doesn't believe it's over because he believes it's propaganda. For 29 years, this man sat in the countryside fighting a war that was already over because he thought the news, the good news that the war was over, he thought that the good news was just propaganda. He thought that the good news was just another excuse for the U.S. to trick us. He thought that the good news couldn't be really as good as they said it was. It really can't be over. I can't let it go. I can't lay down my arms. 
For 29 years, from 1945 until 1974, this man kept fighting a war that was over. And I wonder, whether you're a follower of Christ, are you still fighting battles that are already over? Are you still fighting wars that, that Jesus has already won for you? Do you, do you still keep picking up your, your, your fight that God is saying, no, 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 I already told you your value on the cross. I already told you your value. Stop trying to prove to the world that you have value. Stop trying to make sure your income communicates to the world your value, your car, your house. Stop trying to prove to your world. I told you you have value on the cross. You don't need to prove it anymore. The battle's already been won. Are you still picking up the fight and saying, you know what, I've got to, I've got to overcome this addiction. It's on me, it's on me. And he's saying, no, no, I, I won that for you. I won that for you. I don't, care, I don't care what it feels like. I don't care if the PTSD catches up. What I'm telling you is that I've set your victory. Just follow me. You, you still may have the struggles, the desires to go back. And he says, just follow me because it's already won. You're still carrying the depression. You're still fight, trying to fight the anxiety. And you may still have wounds from your past. And God is saying, no, 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 I'm healing that. And whether you go the rest of your life with that tattoo of your concentration camp, he's still saying, I'm setting you free. I'm going to get you there. Just trust me. That's the indication that I am who I said I am, that I have set you free, that where you are is not where you were. That's not the proof that you're still there. Wake up to the reality that the war was over. For Hiru, a young man found him in the mountainside. This man was kind of like on a, on a quest to find him. And he got to know him and hang out with him on the mountainside. He's like, hey, man, the war's over. And he was like, no, it's not. I don't know. You're just a trick, too. He said, I will not. I will not lay down my weapons. I will not stop this fight until my commanding officer comes and tells me. And in 1974, 29 years later, they found his commanding officer, an old man by now. They found his commanding officer and flew him to the island and met him face to face with orders that said, hey, the war's over. You can lay down your weapon. And Hiru, 29 years later, said, okay, I can, you have the authority. I'll lay down my weapons. And today, what I want you to know is that Jesus has the authority and he's given you the paperwork to say, lay down your weapons. It's time to stop fighting. Carry your cross, carry the pain and the, and the struggles that you have in this life and just follow him. What Easter should mean to you is that it should change everything. To change how you fight. You fight with the cross. You fight knowing that it's already won. You fight knowing that God set you free because Jesus loved you and called you to live a life that's different, called you to live a life in freedom. And your job is to not shoo the darkness, but to follow the light one day at a time, one moment at a time, and look back and find out how far you are removed from the concentration camp that was your prison, from the sin and the struggles that were your pain and your hurt that God is trying to set you free from. No matter what your past is, my, my challenge, my prayer is that this Easter is not just another Sunday or another Easter, that it's a moment where you believe different, you lay down your arms and say, all right, God, I'm ready to follow you with my life. I'm ready to trust you. I'm ready to stop fighting. So if you're a follower of Christ and you've got moments and areas of your life that you've been fighting, you've been wrestling, stop. Determine today, I'm done. Jesus won it for me. I'm not fighting that anymore. I'm declaring victory today because he declared it on the cross. And my goal now is not to fight that fight. My goal now is just to follow. One step at a time. Jesus, what do you call me to do? I'm still wrestling with my depression, my anxiety, my struggles. What do you call me to do today? What is it today? I may still have it on me. I still may have the pain. Jesus, what do you call me to do today? I'll do that because I'm going to follow you, not fight a battle that's already won. For the others of you, we've been prayed over. We've been believing. We've been praying that today is a day where maybe that you've never decided to follow Jesus. And today is a day where you lay down the fight that is your life and say, God, 
I trust that you want it for me. I trust that you won my victory for me. Let's pray. We're so glad you joined us for today's message. Our prayer is that God got the message you needed most today. If you're still here joining us and you're looking for an opportunity to connect to the Brick Church through giving, you can do that by texting the word BRICK to 45888. That's the word BRICK to 45888. The first time you do that, it's going to send you a link, give you the opportunity to connect that number to a credit card, debit card, or bank account. And as you connect with us and we partner together to reach people, we pray that God blesses you in your giving.